The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletico Physical Therapy and CDW. With you once again, everybody, another week of Bears All Access. I'm Jeff Joniak, along with broadcast partner Tom Thayer from News Radio 1059 WBBM. And coming up shortly, joined by Jim Miller from Sirius XM NFL Radio's Moving the Chains. He's down in Mobile, Alabama, working the Senior Bowl practices day two today. And now we'll hear some snippets from this week's uh, introductory news conferences, introducing head coach Matt Eberflus and general manager Ryan Poles. We'll get to the news of the day as well, but welcome in Tom Thayer. Tom, how you how you doing this week? Uh, uh, grasping all the details of uh, what was said at the podium uh, and the news conference early in the week and then the, the slow process. Maybe not so slow process because they're making some hay and filling out those coaching assignments, and that's a big part of this right now. You know, initially, yeah, you listen to the statements they make up at the podium, how they introduce themselves to the media, the general public, of the Chicago Bears fans, and you and, you and I. And you kind of take in what they have to say, um, a little bit about the process of how they went about getting the job, everything they've done up until this point. And then you start reading in the backgrounds of some of the teams that they worked with and um, – you think about some of the teams that uh, the experiences they gained from there. And then all of a sudden you start reading about the assistant coaches that are being hired, the years of experience they have, the relationships they've already been able to develop, because you need some of those obstacles already taken care of. You know, Matt Eberflus doesn't need to walk into a building and introduce himself to every single one of his assistant coaches. I think when you try to put a plan in place and you've already, you know, rubbed elbows in some of the most difficult experiences of your coaching <laughs> life with some of these guys, I think it's ultimately beneficial to what you're going to try to build here. And today, the defensive staff starting to fill out with defensive coordinator Alan Williams. Tom, so much familiarity with uh, the system going back to 2001, entering uh, the league with Tampa Bay, and at that time, Tony Dungy, Lovey Smith. So it's a disciple of this. He's been coaching for 30 years. He's been a defensive coordinator before, and he'll be calling the plays. Right, and I mean, it's extreme trust. Whenever Matt Eberflus is going to bring these guys along, and especially the guys in the coordinator positions, you have to have trust because when you go from a coordinator and you have a lot of responsibilities on your desk – and what you do in the game, how you get them prepared in practice, and what the reflection of how they play is directly placed upon you. Now you're handing that over. That baton is going to another group of guys that you're expecting from what was expected out of you out of defensive coordinator. Now what do you expect out of your new defensive coordinator? What do you expect the process of your offensive coordinator are going to be? And just like all the other position coaches, so – now that Matt is in the position where he's the head coach, he's making a lot more decisions on both, all three sides of the ball when you think about um, you know, what he's going to try to do here with the Bears organization and how he's going to turn these guys into division champs. Linebacker coach will be Dave Borgonzi. Uh, he's uh, had a great deal of experience as well, well-regarded. Uh, his work with Darius Leonard there in Indianapolis, uh, a significant piece to this puzzle, and he was also with him with the Dallas Cowboys, and then the offensive line coach. I was waiting for my phone to ring today. Didn't hear it. You were busy shoveling snow today. 
uh, offensive line coach is Chris Morgan coming over from the Steelers where he was assistant offensive line coach. Then when Adrian Clem left for Oregon, he became the offensive line coach uh, by himself for the final three games of the season. They won games. They went to the playoffs. But his bigger resume is with the Atlanta Falcons, Tom. So that outside zone under Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, when they go to the Super Bowl in 2016, and that was enormously successful there, and he was the run game coordinator there as well. Yeah, I mean, he's got plenty of experience. You know, you talk about these guys with double-digit years of service in the NFL, and then when you're the head offensive line coach, and then all of a sudden you go to a different team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and one of the Pittsburgh Steelers' foundations of success over the years has been their defensive style of play and their offense and their offensive running game. And when you look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers had on the offensive line, he was trying to get rookies ready to play at the center position. You're trying to, you know, take uh, injuries and COVID into account. So I think all the experiences that some of these assistant coaches have gone through in the last couple of years are not only building blocks for the future, but it also understands how do you coach under some of the worst circumstances and you know how do you persevere through all these trying times that we've gone through in the last couple years yeah i'm more concerned about you know what is their ability to develop players and that's really the key teaching them is one thing developing is another and i think a luke getsy coming in as offensive coordinator uh coming here and and that will be an interesting uh, situation with a young guy we'll hear from joe moorhead uh, a coach of his uh, back in the day at the University of Akron, where uh, Coach Moorhead is at right now. Obviously, a lot of great things to say about this former quarterback. And you're hearing things out of Green Bay from Aaron Jones on what the Bears are getting, and they they believe they're getting somebody special. Hey, you know, when Dick Stanfield was our offensive line coach, you could take so much into account of what he was teaching you because he was a former offensive lineman, just like Luke here. If I'm a quarterback, I want to hear from a former quarterback. I want to hear from a guy that stood behind center and shotgun or directly behind center and made decisions according to the information that was given to him with the coverages and the defensive front. So when you took you look at a guy, Justin Fields, and where his ability can take this football team and take him individually i like that message being delivered by a former quarterback and uh, there's a report from nfl media's ian rapaport the bears may be close to hiring former giants receivers coach tyke tolbert he's been around a long time tom been with five different nfl teams since 2003 and uh, a very respected assistant that's not done yet not official uh, but that's uh, somebody to keep an eye on as well and coming up next we'll be joined by big jim miller tom we'll get the show going our weekly guest here on bears all access with our producer today brandon fryer i'm tom i'm jeff joniak that's tom thayer i want to be tom thayer one day Great. thanks as well to dan barilli and jordan Treadup. this is chicago sports radio 670 the score Welcome back to Bears All Access. We're brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. With Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, in this week's edition of Bears All Access, pleased to be joined by our special guest each week. He's from SiriusXM's NFL Radio, the former Bears quarterback, Jim Miller, joining the program from Mobile, Alabama. IGN Umbrella today down there, Big Jim. Yeah, the, the, the faucet was definitely open. It was off and, uh, on, on and off rain all day. So for both the American uh, club and the, in the national club, you know, and it's something you get to scout, though. Can the guys play in the elements? You know, there were some uh, bad footballs thrown today. There were a lot of drop balls uh, today by the receivers because the ball got a little slick. And then 
everybody's getting the good intel that they need in inclement uh, weather uh, down here in Mobile. Yeah, with the New York Jets and Detroit Lions are running the show for their respective squads. We'll talk about some of that in detail coming up here later in the show, Jim. But uh, Tom and I just was uh, were just talking about the assistants that have brought in. Get your overall reaction on what you heard from Matt Eberflus, the new head coach of the Bears, and Ryan Poles, the new general manager, early in the week. Yeah, well, you know, like anything, it's it's important. You got to get this staff in place, and uh, you know, because again, these are the guys that are going to be delivering the message, and uh, you know. Coach uh, Eberflus, he's been in the NFL for for a long time. He's acquiring the guys that he wants, that he be, that he believes will deliver uh, that message, and they have to have the buy-in from him too, right? You know, so these guys are, have to be the ones to to sell it. So I was actually down here. I talked to a, a Bears uh, analyst, uh, Tom Herman. So I, I talked to him quite a bit today, as he's getting to know this new staff as well. So you know, pretty exciting times. And again, there's still five teams that you know don't even have a head coach right now. So this is big when you're able to uh, to acquire guys right now and add them to your staff before the cupboard is bare, so to speak. Because, uh, you know, you look at the Raiders in Jacksonville, they've been the longest without their head coaches, and, and they still don't even, uh, you know, Raiders just got theirs and Josh McDaniels. But you look at Jacksonville, they're still searching right now. So this is a good thing that Eberflus uh, is really getting this all done pretty quickly. And two coordinators are locked up. Luke Getze, they get him from Green Bay. Alan Williams, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for, for Luke, uh, he had a couple offers. Obviously, he went out there and interviewed for for the Denver Broncos. Comes with uh, great resources and bringing along uh, Aaron Rodgers. I think we know who, how terrific he is. And then the other guys certainly know the system of Everflus. When you look at Allen Williams uh, there for the Colts, and I believe you just mentioned that the linebackers coach is, is added as well. So that system, they're going to get up and running pretty quickly, I would think, defensively uh, from that standpoint. So, yeah, I, I like the guys that they've hired so far. Okay, Tom Thayer, Jim Miller here on Bears All Access. We'll break it down over the course of the evening on just what this means for the Bears here in 2022, uh, how they hit the ground running. So, boys, Tom, we'll start with you. We go to a 4-3 defense. Uh, that'll be the base defense anyway. We know Nichols played significantly in this league. So how, how does this begin to affect certain players that may be on this uh, roster? Uh, some guys may not be uh, because of, of a switch to a 4-3, but – I, I think of a guy like Roquan Smith playing that inside linebacker all by himself there and a true middle linebacker in this 4-3. Uh, um, is that an assumption, or can he play outside in this 4-3? Okay, Jim, i got to ask a question with a question because I just want to clarify things. Jim, when you're down there at the, the senior bowl, do they play a 4-3 defense or do they play a 34 defense or do they play a scheme according to the head coaches there? No, no, it'll be it'll be a four-three defense is what it was. There's there was discussion to have one be a three-four and one be a four-three, uh, but that kind of fell through, and so they strictly go through uh, a four-three defense down here. Okay, so now you get a chance to evaluate some players that could be key components to your football team going forward. But when I look at the Bears personnel, and because of the Jeff, you know, and Jim, these defenses morph to every defensive front that you could possibly face during the course of one a game let alone a season so 
Is there a position that I don't think Roquan Smith would be comfortable with? No. It's just that when you go from a 3-4 defense and you're always standing above an offensive lineman and you're unprotected, so that offensive lineman, is you're his responsibility. He can fight directly at you, fire off the ball. But now when you're Roquan Smith and you put him in the middle of a defense and you have defensive tackles that are there to protect you, allow you to run with a little bit of freedom, I think that even exposes exposes you to more opportunities in that type of uh, defense play, and we've seen it throughout the history of the Chicago Bears. I think the key is, you know, are, are the Robert Quinns and the Khalil Max? do they have the ability to fit into this defensive style, and can they do what's required of you in those positions? But a guy like Roquan Smith, I think this is the type of guy that has the talent that could play with intelligence, with the physicality, with the athleticism that he's gifted with and could be an asset in any defense you want to put him in. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to affect guys that that you mentioned in terms of the two outside backers or even Travis Gibson, right? He was a defensive end in college. Now he's learned to to be a stand-up backer. Now will he go back to defensive end would be the question I have. For Roquan, is it middle backer? Yeah, I think he's got the speed of – of say Darius Leonard, and he's going to be a tackling machine, whether he's at Mike or Will, you know, is or do they move him to say the Lance Briggs weak side linebacker position because he's a run and hit guy, he's a heat seeking missile. So I think all those will will be determined, but clearly some players will be affected in how they're going to be utilized. Typically, when you look at this style of defense, you know, I go back to even Robert Mathos when everybody thought he was too young or too small to play defensive end. That's the style of defense that they're, the Bears are going to be utilizing uh, now. So this is a Colts uh, defense. You better have on your track shoes, uh, is what I believe uh, Coach Eberflu said, and there will be no loafing. Let's just put it that way. There will be no loafing. This is going to be a, a legit speedy defense that he's going to be installing. How about, Jim, how does this affect a guy like Eddie Jackson? Um, no, I think, you know, they're still going to rock and roll the safeties uh, from that standpoint. So I – I think Eddie will be a player that fits right in from that standpoint. Um, most teams do it uh, around the NFL because coverage is coverage uh, from that standpoint. But, you know, you got to be able to, like I said, fly to the football and, you know, make legitimate. They, you know, that's one thing that the Colts have done. They've gotten a lot of turnovers over the past couple of years. And so that's what the Bears want to get back to. We go back to what was that, 2018 when they had 34, and it hasn't really happened from that standpoint. Eddie Jackson – has to get more turnovers from that standpoint. That's really where they want the impact to be in that in the secondary. You know, you got to think, you know, uh, past guys that we've seen over their career, if a Mike Brown or a Tony Parrish and these types of guys, I think there's a certain element of a physical style play that when you talk about two safeties in this four-man front, they got to be able, like Jim says, roll, you know, frontward and backward during the course of a cadence but they also have to be physical when they approach the line of scrimmage. They got to be physical in the defensive backfield, and they also have to be read, you know, good readers on what's going up in front of them if they are going to, you know, you know, kind of recapture the turnovers that the Bears used to be able to produce. I think Chris Harris too, who you know went by the nickname of yep. Hitman. Hitman was uh, was a vital part of that as well. Uh, and then I I think about Lovey always talking about Jim and Tom about. Tommy Harris and the three technique defensive tackle being the engine of the defense. So who would that engine be on the current roster? Blau Nichols. 
He's a type of guy that has versatility on the inside. He can play out of a right or left-handed stance. He can slide over from the left guard to the right guard with equal balance. He knows how to play on the interior. He has the experience of playing on the interior when Eddie Goldman opted out two years ago. So I think if you have to plug a guy immediately in place, they do have a guy that can fulfill that role. However, that's a unique position. You're looking of traits of explosiveness at the line of scrimmage and at the snap of the ball that sometimes offensive linemen have a hard time catching up to. Big Jim? It's going to affect, I, I think, uh, you know, Eddie Goldman. I think he, you know, he's a big run-stuffing defensive tackle. Not that you still don't want the girth. Uh, I do believe uh, that Iberflus going to want the girth, but I'm, I'm with Tom. I think now you're looking for a penetrator. Now you're looking for a guy like a Javon Hargrave type of player, an Aaron Donald uh, type of player, a three technique that is a penetrator that can really, you know, get through, slice through those gaps and, and really be disruptive from that standpoint. And who knows, may not be on the roster right now. And that's why we're down here in Mobile and we'll see what opens up in free agency that potentially could be added to the mix. All right, let's take a listen for a, a sit down interview I did with uh, general manager Ryan Poles this week up at Hallis Hall. You know, starting in New York, playing high school football, and then going to Boston College, having a good career. And then the best thing is, you know, the opportunity that I got was here in Chicago with the Bears. And it's just really cool to see how that went full circle to, to be back here as a general manager. What resonated with you, the process with chairman of the board, George McCaskey and, and his crew? Yeah, the first thing I'll say, first impressions are important to me. And the fact that George went to the airport and picked me up at baggage claim, I thought that was special. And I truly value people and relationships. And when that happened and for him to spend extra time with me in the car to get to know me on a deeper level, I knew everything I needed to know before I even walked in the building. So um, it's been really good to get to know George. Well, your exposure to the Bears as a rookie is significant also because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Virginia McCaskey speaks to the rookies every year. Yeah. So in 2008, you were in that room when you heard from Virginia McCaskey. So you already had a pretty good knowledge of what it means to her and to their family. Do you remember that moment back in 2008? I do. I do. I remember how much pride she had about the Chicago Bears. And I remember a lot of the stories just in terms of how deep-rooted the history is here. The other thing uh, that wasn't brought up is we went to the Hall of Fame to uh, with Gal Sayers, actually. Okay. And to hear him speak as well was just a really cool moment. Yeah, there's this place dripping with history. Yes, there's no is. question about yep. it. And you think about all these big names. Uh, was this always something that you wanted to do? Personnel, management, in football? Because if, if not football, was was this going to be the path for you? Or was this just something that just came about? Yeah. No, when I walked in as a scouting assistant um, back in 2009, once I got my feet underneath me and I started to understand the scope of, of really how uh, the front office works and how building a team works, I wanted to be a general manager and put my hands on an organization and lead them to a championship. Do you have a mission statement for this team? Because you're used to winning. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. won a lot in Kansas City. Yeah. My mission statement really to get this thing kicked off, is to take over the North and never give it back. Simple as that. Simple. Hard to do. Simple as that. Exactly. That's a great goal. There's a lot of work to do. What's your philosophy on drafting? For the draft philosophy, it's really to understand uh, how to tie evaluation with valuation. When and where to pick certain players on the board and have that feel is important to me. 
I believe in building the foundation with offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and obviously supporting our quarterback with giving him the most weapons that we can possible. Spoken like a true offensive yeah, player exactly. right there. Digging in the trenches. Do you value growing your own, say, versus free agency? Yeah, homegrown talent, that is critical to have long-term success. And I think that's important. There's shortcuts at every turn in building a roster. So it takes discipline to do it the right way. And if you do it the right way and you keep those homegrown uh, talented players that you have drafted and sign them to second contracts once they've deserved them, then you're cooking. What kind of team you want to see? Yeah, I want to see a tough, violent, and fast team. Putting it in perspective. Yeah. Very quick. I like it. Um, skill sets and traits aside, uh, what type of person will be a bear moving forward? You know, it's critical. We're going to, in the draft room, we're going to label players with a bear logo that have toughness and passion for the game. I found through history, if you have those two things, plus the skill set, you're going to go far, you're going to make the team, and also you're going to affect the culture. All right, tell me about Matt Eberflus. And is there a relationship from the past that we, we may not be aware of? Yeah, so the big thing is I had a criteria of what the head coach needed to look like and what characteristics he needed to have. And the moment that Matt walked into the room, he was able to check all of those boxes. He was passionate about the game. He was a leader. He could motivate the team. He valued players more than anything. He wants to put players in a position to succeed as much as possible. And then the biggest thing is just having a detailed plan. Matt had a detailed plan that had multiple layers to it. And that's what got me excited, and I was convicted that he was the right person. Did you guys know each other before? Uh, we had bumped into each other before. Obviously, when you, know, you watch other teams and, and you get a feel for you know, what units are, are playing really well, um, that's a reflection of who you are. So I made sure that I was able to mate him um, in the past. I think it was like a year ago we got a chance to bump into each other. So uh, there was a little bit of history there, and I'm excited to work with him. Sounds like they're hitting the ground running, too, from everything we hear up there and uh, at the Senior Bowl as well. I'll uh, start with Tom just on your overall reaction. Some of that we heard in the news conference as well. That was before the news conference. It's just amazing at 2008 when this journey began and where it is at this point in his young life. I just I hope all the success that, uh, you know, that he can possibly have because I think it's the first time in a long time that we've heard the foundation is the offense and defensive line. And it is, and again, I always sound like a broken record, but it's the truth of the matter. If you do want to have a, a violent, physical, fast football team, your speed comes from the effectiveness of your offense and defensive line. If Roquan Smith is going to run well as a middle linebacker or a will linebacker, it's because he's getting protected by big defensive linemen up front. And I have generations of watching historic uh, Hall of Fame defensive linemen protect and help a guy like Mike Singletary have the type of career he has. If you want to be fast on offense, if you want to have explosiveness, you got to be able to block up front. You have to have the reputation of being a physical offensive lineman that kind of sells the program to the rest of your offensive players. So when I hear a young guy like Ryan Poles talk for the first time to you, Again, the journey from 2008 to where we're at, but also the influence how the offense and defensive line has to have on the overall success of this organization. Jim? You know, like you said, you want the team to represent. If he's talking about a fast, physical uh, team, we always talk about it, say, you know, the Baltimore Ravens. They have a scene, right? We play the Raven way or the, new, the Patriot way. 
So the Bears want to have that identity. So in order to identify that type of talent of what you're trying to represent, to be able to cultivate and develop that talent, whether it's in drafting, whether it's in free agency, and what those players represent, you know, and how they play. So there has to be an identity or an identifier that those players fit what the Bears are trying to do and take pride from, from that standpoint and how they're doing it and what they're going to represent. You know, I, I laugh even at the Raiders when, you know, Mike Mayock, who's no longer there as a general manager, when they were down here at the Risa Senior Bowl coaching it, they would put stickers, a Raiders sticker, on players that they identified they wanted the Raiders to represent. So you'd get a Raiders sticker if you made a, quote-unquote, a Raider play, and that's the type of player that you want. If you're going to uh, wear their colors, you need to represent in your style of play and how you identify with how they wanted to play. And that's what I think the the Bears and obviously Ryan Poles, that's what he wants to identify, and that's what he's going to go after. Tom and Jim both will get Bears, Bears stickers, no question about it. We'll talk with Matt Eberflus coming up next, my interview with him. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, Jim Miller from SiriusXM NFL Radio is moving the chains. He's in Mobile, Alabama. We'll talk to him about senior bowl practices in just a bit, uh, but we'll continue our conversations with the new regime, and this includes Matt Eberflus, the head coach and former defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. All right, so you pull up to Hallis Hall the first time, and you see the big C out, but you see George Hallis. Yeah. Okay, you're doing what he did. Right. Uh, how does that resonate with you? It's it's really surreal when you think about it. You know, a legendary coach um, like George, and unbelievable the records that he has accomplished in the championships, and to uphold the standards, okay, and the habits of victory um, that he had. And, and I'm up for that challenge and excited to – uh, to get to work with that. What moment in your career, or even playing, did you think, you know what, I am going to be a head coach, and then when you felt you were ready to be a head coach? Yeah, I've always said this, that you know, I became a defensive coordinator at 29 in the Big 12. I was the youngest coordinator in the country. And you get put into that position, and you just go. You just put your head down and work, you know, one action at a time, just one action at a time. Now. You know, you're talking that now I'm 51 with more experience, you know, so I've been, you know, waiting for this opportunity. Obviously, I have a plan in place uh, to accomplish what we need to accomplish. But it comes back to the same thing. It's one action at a time, making wise decisions, one action at a time of what we're going to see on the football field. Um, and that's what matters. Why was this an attractive job? Just the tradition of the historic franchise of the Chicago Bears. You know, when you go through it and, you know, sure, I might have had a, a couple of choices here and there at the very end of it. And I chose this place because of the men and the franchise, you know, George McCaskey, Ryan Poles. And those are the guys you want to be in the foxhole with because it's good. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have victories. Who do you want to be in with? The, who do you want to be with in those moments? And those are the guys that I chose. What's job one in terms of what you address roster wise? Yeah, roster wise, just to evaluate to evaluate and see where we are, you know, because, you know, we're making the shift from a, a 3-4 to a 4-3. That's one, you know, evaluate our offensive line. That's, that's number two. You know, where's our receivers, you know, 
quarterback, everybody really, and just to evaluate it and see where we are. And then you know where you are, now you can know where you're going. So that's the most important. What do you want players to know about you? Um, that what they're about to get into is going to be the hardest thing they're ever going to do, but it's going to be worth it. Why will it be so hard? Because the, the work patterns that we're going to have on a day-to-day -day basis when we get onto the football field and the preparation leading up to that is something they've never done before. And it's going to be the hardest thing. And I always tell them that. I say, it's, it's one year. I said, when I come back to you after one year, I want you to say, if the, what I said to you, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, was it true? And every player that I've ever said it to says, Coach, you weren't lying. It was true. <laughs> well, it's also, in many respects, uh, if you're not willing to do it, you won't be a part of it. So those that do stay and enjoy the process and find out that you have their best interest at heart, you want to put them in the best position to succeed, and that's all part of it. Does that come back to you as well? Yeah, no doubt. It's, this is a partnership. You know, you're, you're working with NFL players, you know, so it's all about the players. You know, so to me, it's a partnership. So how can the coach serve the players? You know, so me as the fo head football coach, serve the whole football team, coach the coaches, and then how can each position coach really serve the guy he's working with? It's, a, it's truly a partnership to be able to get to where we want to get. Well, Jim, you know, I hear that, and uh, when the hardest hardest thing you're ever going to do when I hear that about a football player, because a lot of these guys, wherever they came from, around the country, parts unknown, from their uh, high school level to their college days to the NFL, uh, have their own definition of what's the hardest thing to do. But when, when you heard that, did it did it jog something in your memory of your hardest thing you ever had to do to get to get on a team? Well, again, yeah, the the buy-in factor. I think it needs to be there. I'll, I'll never forget when Dick Duran became the, the head coach of the Bears. And I remember there's very few coaches ever say this. If Dick Duran says, hey, we chose everybody in this room, like when he has his mission statement meeting and we're all in the auditorium and we're about to, you know, we get done with our last, uh, you know, mini camp. And he said, hey, everybody in this room is here for a reason. We chose you to be here and represent the Chicago Bears. If anybody in this room doesn't want to be here, just come to me and I will find a home for you somewhere else. Because that coach needs to know that you're all in. And it is uh, the hardest thing uh, that you're ever going to do. But you've got to be all in uh, from that standpoint, right? Why did Tom Brady just retire? He said, I, I couldn't be all in anymore. You know, you can't be half in, can't be a quarter of the way in. You've got to be all in in order to make that, that commitment. And that's what I think uh, Coach Eberflus is really talking about there. You know, back in the old days when training camps used to be as hard as they could possibly be and there was a new coach coming on board, everybody dreaded it because they knew they were about to go through the most physical, exhaustive training camps maybe of their career if you don't go through multiple coaching changes. But when you look at Matt Eberflus coming in here, the one thing that's going to make it so hard is because you're digesting new information. Not only do you have to play it at a speed that they're expecting an NFL caliber player to play at, you're also trying to dissect new information and learn it so you can use it efficiently. And then there's going to be guys that are going to have position changes. And that's as difficult as you can possibly try to, you know, uh, perform at the level they expect, change positions, maybe balance in different things. And then it's their coaches, they got to weed out the guys that are the non-competitors. And it's all, there's a lot of factors that come into play when Matt Eberflew says this is going to be the most difficult challenge of, a, of their lives. And it is going to be. 
But um, I think that's the process that every one of these guys have to try to put into place is figure out the guys that you can count on in a weekly basis. They're going to give the effort that's expected from you when you talk about these loafs and stuff. Because the worst thing you want to do, Jeff, is go into a meeting after a game and they said, oh, so-and-so, you had five loafs. So-and-so, you had – that's – that's humbling and embarrassing in front of your teammates. So when you are called out for those types of things, it's going to challenge you at what level that you can play, perform, and practice at. You know, we often say that the game has changed. The people have changed in the game, both the coaches and the players, and how they've been raised, so to speak, in the college game. The rules changes, the minimization of padded practices, the time between practices changing, uh, lack of double days and all that. Jim, do you think that a guy like Matt, who's an, you know, he's 51, but as he said, he's been coaching his whole life. He's played, he was a walk-on uh, at Toledo and had to earn his way to get onto that roster. And, you know, it seemed like coaching was in his in his future no matter what where it was going to be, and he's risen through that, through the ranks in that fashion. Can, can you make those statements the same way with today's guys? Um, yeah, I just think things are in reverse. You know, things used to trickle, you know, trickle down. Like, you know, I always bring up the example when I was at Michigan State, George Perlis was the coach there, right? He was the defensive coordinator of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. We did everything like the Steelers did, from how we practiced to how our uniforms were made, uh, the, even the block S, right? Because uh, uh, Pittsburgh only had it on, on one side of, the, of their helmet in terms of their sticker. So we did everything like them. Now it's almost reversed. There is a trickle-up effect, right? Look at the influence of the college game on the NFL game, and, and college coaches would even say that about the high school level now and how players come out of high school because they're all running wide-open offenses and how that trickles up to college. So it, it's just somewhat in reverse is what I'd say what's happening now, the trend in the NFL. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll talk Justin Fields and how the Bears' offense will look with new coordinator Luke Getze, head coach Matt Eberflus, and his staff. It's all ahead here on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by CDW. People who get it, Jeff Joniak, top there, Jim Miller from SiriusXM NFL Radio, uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting, fellas, that uh, Jim Harbaugh is telling University of Michigan he will stay there. For as long as they want him, Jim. Well, that's a, a good thing. I think everybody was a little bit nervous because uh, uh, Adolfo Mensa, the, the general manager, spent some time in San Francisco and was there when uh, Jim Harbaugh was there. So uh, I wonder if Jim Harbaugh got his raise back. Right? He had to take a pay cut to stay there. So maybe that was a part of the deal uh, for, for Jim Harbaugh. You just wonder if that's the case. That's stuff that always happens behind closed doors, I think. So. You know, I, I got to tell you, him getting his money back, if that was the reason why he went back to Michigan, then I really, I, I don't I, I don't respect that very much because Jim has made such an abundance of money. The little bit he's going to make up if Michigan decided to, hey, let's let's give you back what, you know, you know that was taken away from you. I think you got to do a service to the kids that you're out there recruiting. If you're sitting out there recruiting all these kids and telling all these parents what a model citizen you are and what you're going to bring their kids to Michigan to be, you know, aboard, and then you go out there and you say, okay, Minnesota, dangle a carrot in front of me so I can go out there and, and test the waters in there. 
You know, I think that um, – Well, he made no bones about it. He was telling recruits he was actively trying to get back in the NFL. So it's not like he was hiding it from, from that standpoint. But like I said, I don't think it sits well with, with a lot of parents out there. Uh, but, you know, I think he was pretty open about it, that he was interested in returning. But I, to me, I think that affects uh, that affects the parents and the kids that you're out there recruiting. So if it's not going to happen this year, what's telling me that it's not going to happen in a year when somebody out there goes and makes such Jim Harbaugh? All right, instead of you having use of a private plane, we'll give you a private plane. <laughs> well, he know? did say he's going. He told Michigan that you know you're here as long as you want me. So he did say that. So we'll we'll see what happens. That that's according to reports anyway. All right. Joe Moorhead is the head coach at Akron. He was once at Penn State as a uh, coordinator and uh, had a chance to visit with him about Luke Getze because he was Luke Getze's college coach. Yeah, I've known Luke for a long time since he was a player at Steel Valley High School in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, through his time as a player at Pitt and then came to play for us at Akron and then started his coaching career here as a graduate assistant. Uh, tremendous success in the NFL. A couple uh, different stops and then with us at Mississippi State. So, a uh, very well-earned opportunity, and I, I know Luke will do a great job. What's he like as a coach? Very cerebral, uh, always well-prepared, a great communicator, a, um expert of fundamentals and technique, and a guy who understands offensive football, protections, run game, uh, route concepts at, at an incredibly high level. Did you see Coach in him as a player? I did, and, uh, you know, Luke was a fringe NFL guy, uh, you know, got into camp with the Niners and, uh, I think that was the extent of his experience, but um, you know, it's, it, it didn't take long to identify that if he wasn't playing, he would he would be involved in the sport in some capacity, and uh, you know, certainly coaching was was in his future at some point. It used to be that you know a guy your age would be considered a young coach in, in your forties, uh, and I would look at you know sixties and fifty year old coaches as the as the standard. But now a bunch of thirty somethings are really starting to make an impact, obviously. You look at the Super Bowl and you, you you can see that right there. What do you think of that as a coach that these younger coaches have really started to make the rise into top positions in the National Football League and in college football? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's great for those guys to get their opportunity and take advantage of it. Certainly at 48, I, I mean, I'm a uh, literal graybeard, not a figurative graybeard. So uh, I sold towers, still have probably a little uh, gas left in the tank. But, yeah, I mean, that's just, the you know, you know, the nature of the game and the nature of the profession that guys are – you know, getting into organizations, maybe in a quality control or, a, uh, you know, graduate assistant capacity. They're paying their dues. They're getting their opportunities. And, you know, they're doing a great job with them. And, you know, you just, just see a bunch. Of, as you mentioned, I think it is, is, is a bit of a trend, you know, guys, guys in their 30s, uh, you know, rising to prominent uh, roles within NFL organizations. Uh, what would you tell us about uh, his personality as a coach? Uh, and then uh, what was his personality like as a player? Or are they one and the same? He is incredibly competitive, possesses a ton of confidence, but, but he, he's very composed. Uh, so when, when, you, when you get to know Luke and you meet him for the first time, you, you think maybe he's a little quiet, you know, a little reticent, very analytical. But when it, when it comes to the, to the preparation part of it and the game part of it, you know, you're, you're not going to find a more competitive guy out there. Joey's going to be uh, leaving Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> our, yeah. ne our nemesis, uh, for a, uh, a rookie quarterback who obviously has great potential in Justin Fields. Such a different contrast here. As an offensive 
minded coach like Luke, how do you analyze that as a head coach yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, Justin was committed to be at Penn State for almost a year, uh, you know, and I think my anticipated departure at Penn State, you know, led to his decommitment eventually to Georgia, then go to Ohio State. But Justin is uh, and his family, and I've texted with Justin and his dad, you know, since Luke got hired, just great people. Um, You know, Justin, incredibly talented, could beat you with his brain, his arms, and his legs. And at the end of the day, whether it's college or, or, or NFL football, it's a personnel-driven game. And uh, Luke, Luke, Luke will, will do an excellent job identifying what the Bears have, uh, what those guys can do well, and then, then formulating a scheme around them. And certainly, uh, you know, Justin's the, the, the straw that stirs a drink. So it would be easy for critics to say, well, you know, did Aaron Rodgers really need any coaching when you, when you think about it, right, given his excellence? But – we know that's not true. We know that coaches coach and players play, and there is learning going on here. Do you think he will draw a lot from that experience of just the the daily routine of a great quarterback or a great superstar athlete, regardless of sport, that Justin could learn a lot from from Luke? Yeah, I mean, most, most critics don't know whether the ball's inflated or stuffed with feathers, so I would take everything they say with a grain of salt. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, any time that, that you're able to be around a guy like you know, Aaron Rodgers and, you know, one of the all-time best to do it and, you know, see his habits and how he prepares and the things he does on game day to be an, an incredibly high-level guy, you, you'd be remiss to not carry over some of those um, experiences, you know, to your first coordinator opportunity uh, in the NFL. And I know Luke will do that. Like I said, incredibly smart. I've uh, been around a lot of great coaches with different and diverse philosophies and you know, he'll put together a great package. And I, and I think Justin will be the, you know, the, the primary beneficiary of that. We were at Penn State. We were his second major college offer. Uh, so we had identified him very early in the process. We got him up to camp, um, got him offered. And then when he started, he actually didn't play a ton as an underclassman. Uh, but then when he, he started to get a bunch of great film, he blew up, became a five-star guy, you know, the lead 11 and one of the top players, if not the top player in the country. But uh, getting to know Pablo and Gina and his parents and, you know, great family sister plays uh, softball at Georgia. They are just – you take the football part out of it. You know, Justin Fields and his family are just top-flight, high-character, awesome people. And to get to know them, and even though it didn't work out, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to coach him. I've stayed in touch with them. And, you know, uh, you're just always happy for Justin's success. Joe Moorhead, head coach at Akron. Uh, So this begs the question then, Tom and Jim, do you build a system around Justin or you plug Justin into a system? Jim, you go first with the quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you, I think you build a system around Justin is, is what you do. You know, you take the stuff that he did at Ohio State, almost like what, uh, you know, Carolina did with Cam Newton, right? There was a lockout year, and they brought in the Auburn offense uh, to really get him to feel comfortable when you look at Cam Newton. And I think that's what you're going to do. You're going to build around the strengths of, of Justin Fields. So, you know, it's – you know, from the offensive line and what they want to do running, how they're going to be mobile with him and take advantage of his legs, throwing on the run, all those type of things. So they're going to build a, a system that suits his skill sets and what, you know, accentuates his, his positives and minimizes uh, any struggles that he has in other areas of his game. Well, you look at what the Buffalo Bills has done the last couple of years, building a system yep. around Josh Allen and his traits. I think that's kind of the – you know, the template of success that you kind of want to formulate a plan like that. But when you talk about Luke in being with Aaron Rodgers, 
I would, as a coach, I would try to absorb everything I possibly could in Aaron's preparation. And then how does that transfer to Justin? And you're not going to say, hey, be like him, be like him. Hey, this is the way that we saw this play. This is the way that we broke down this type of formation. This is the opportunity that we presented to our quarterback. And all those types of things that he was be able to learn from Aaron, it may have been a player teaching a coach more than a coach was teaching a player. That's Tom Thayer, Jim Miller, Jeff Joniak. We'll look at today's Senior Bowl activities with Big Jim after this break on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Final segment here on Bears All Access with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, and Jim Miller from Sirius XM NFL Radio's Moving the Changes down in Mobile, Alabama at the Reese Senior Bowl. Uh, what are you learning? Uh, specifically at quarterback, because we keep hearing that Malik Willis is uh, showing everybody he's got a rocket arm. Uh, the kid out of Atlanta, Georgia, can also move, but he, he's coming from a school like Liberty. So how's he, how's he panning out with the other top talent from around the country? Yeah, he really had a good day today. He separated himself for the American squad. He could spin it. Uh, you know, I thought all the other quarterbacks somewhat struggled throwing in the, the rain today from Kenny Pickett. I do like Desmond Ritter. I think he is really impressed from Cincinnati as well. He was spinning the ball really well also, and they've got Carson Strong from Nevada who's got a real strong arm. But – Ritter from Cincinnati and Malik Willis, one, he's, he's a really good athlete, made a couple nice scrambles today, can throw on the run, uh, but I thought he had a tremendous day the, this afternoon. And Western Kentucky's uh, Bailey Zappi, uh, you know, he, he basically transferred up to Western Kentucky, brought all his receivers with him, put up a lot of yardage in production, but I thought Malik really stole the show today. Jim, is there any, uh, you know, small school guys out there that are going to turn heads of uh, some scouts and some developers out there you think of the offensive guard that ended up starting for the denver broncos from the small school in wisconsin last year yeah quinn miners is there any of those guys out there that you know when you think about the bears and where they're positioned in the draft that you know you can get a starter in every one of those draft choices position is there a guy right now that's catching your eye i like the cornerback from fayetteville state all right, he's six foot two and a half, 193 pounds, Joshua Williams. So I think he clocked the fastest yesterday. You know, they do the next-gen stats. I think he was at 21 and a half miles an hour. But this is a very long corner who can put some weight on, and he can still fly. So Fayetteville State has got my vote right now. He really has looked good. And on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Florida State's edge, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, he has been singled out. Uh, Jim, what have you heard about his play so far? Yeah, I think for him, I think there's a couple of big guys that have played pretty well. On, But him, he's got the speed from, from that standpoint. Uh, the defensive end for Florida State, he's physical, fast, and speed to power, I think is, is what I wrote next to him, where he's really, or really excelled down here in Mobile so far. And, Tom, i got to get you the clip I saw of Penn State's Jesse Lucetta because we talk about leverage all the time, all right? So he was up against, at right tackle, the 6'8", 387-pounder from Minnesota, Daniel Fale. And who do you think won that battle? It was something. <laughs> the kid from Penn State. Jim, did you see that play? I, I saw it, and he, he bull rushed him and pushed him back. He fell flat on, his, uh, flat on his fanny when you look at Daniel from Minnesota. That dude is a big dude. Really right. big dude. Probably but leverage, Tom. Leverage. Yeah. I mean, lever- well, leverage. Go ahead, Jim. Tom will love it because the, the best guy down here, in my opinion, on the O-line is the kid from Boston College. That Zion Johnson is an absolute beast, man. 314 pounds. That dude just doesn't move. He anchors, Tom. He is impressive. 
very impressive. That's what you got to have. You have to have an anchor. When you talk about the size of the Minnesota guy, if you're kind of loose on your feet and you take all that big size and just get it pushed backwards, no, but I listen, I like the development possibilities of the Minnesota guy. You said six, eight and a half, three hundred and eighty 380 pounds. Huge, huge man. And you'd also like the fact that uh, BC's Zion Johnson stayed after in the rain because he was getting snaps at center and he was practicing in the rain his snaps at center. So that's a guy who wants it badly. That's going to wrap us up. Big Jim, have a great call of the game on uh, Saturday, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good, guys. Good to be with you. That's Jim Miller, Tom Thayer. Thanks to our producer tonight here at the score, Brandon Fryer, Jordan Treadup, and Dan Barilli. I'm Jeff Joniak. This has been a Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Good Thanks night. for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on chicagobears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.